Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. Hello, everyone. My name is T. Yarek Boholtz. I'm the founder of Canada Real Estate Investors Club. And would you mind just confirming if you can hear me correctly by just typing or raising your hand? Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, today we have a privilege of having uh, one of the most known in Calgary, Alberta area, property manager, real estate investor, Mr. Don Ficaccio. Hello, Don. How are, Don, how are you? Great, uh, great. Uh, nice to talk to you today. Perfect. So today presentations will be related to the property management and as you know, if you have attended previously to Canada REIC, Canada Real Estate Investors Club webinars, our goal is to educate investors and more likely is run by investors for investors. So you will be asking the questions and uh, based on your participations that we are expecting to have approximately an hour, an hour and a half of our webinar. So please kindly get your speaker phones and headphones, earphones ready and raise your hand and you can type any questions within all the presentations and we will use that as, as, a, as a, our goal. So simply saying is the, how, the way how we will be working, Mr. Dan will explain some principles of property management and uh, about subject what he is a professional. And you can ask any time by typing the question, and I will follow up with you on a regular basis by chatting. Okay, so Mr. Dan, uh, your presentation, uh, go ahead, enjoy it, and let's have a fun. All right, thank you. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, my name again is uh, Dan Ficaccio. I'll just a brief introduction uh, about myself, and then I'll kind of get into... Um, uh, kind of the main subject points on uh, kind of the topic of landlording here for today. So uh, my wife and I uh, started our company called Avia Group Inc. approximately 10 years ago and then became investors in real estate. Uh, we've got four great kids, a uh, dog, uh, we live in Calgary and are very excited about sharing our experiences with you and are confident we can help you uh, in your pursuits of landlording and, and managing properties. Um, to back up a little bit regarding our backgrounds and the process that uh, we took in order to start our company, um, my wife Madeline started uh, off with uh, a Bachelor of Commerce degree from the University of Calgary. Uh, she's got very diverse work experience along with a very enthusiastic uh, entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which I think is important to mention. It's more than just uh, the fluff of saying that. I think uh, you really differentiate being um, an entrepreneur from an employee or, or that kind of thing. You really have to be able to visualize and, and see and it's, it's like running a company in my experience uh, landlording. It's not very much different at all than having employees. I almost look at uh, my tenants as my employees and the caretakers of my business 
because ultimately my business is um, the house and, and, and that it's in good shape and has good uh, caretakers in it. So we work in partnership with our tenants more than you know dictate to them or landlord to them. So I do believe it's important to differentiate from you know an entrepreneurial standpoint than from uh, uh, just kind of a job or, or a business. Um, it, it really is in that uh, that vein. So as far as myself goes, background-wise, just really briefly, I came from the experience of having my own medium-sized construction company for approximately 13 years uh, prior to getting invested in real estate and, and formally setting up a company. And I also have uh, a very strong entrepreneurial attitude and, um, and really enjoy you know, the different challenges and aspects that come with any kind of a business uh, and the people involved. Uh, so like many other people, we, uh, we saw opportunity in real estate and began to explore the basic ones, uh, you know, buy and sell, flips, uh, buy and holds uh, for cash flow. And through the process, uh, our eyes were re really opened to the multitude of other less known about opportunities in real, real estate, uh, ranging from basic money lending, RSP loans, uh, to motivated seller properties, foreclosures, properties in distress. And uh, I needed just to name a, a few of uh, different angles. Uh, some guys specialize only in RSP lending, and it just kind of goes on and on. So um, it was at that point that we were quite excited, to, but also overwhelmed by the, the vast amount of knowledge there really is out there to be learned. Earlier on, I thought of real estate. I thought you bought a house and fixed it and sold it or rented it, and that was pretty much it. But uh, there's people that make very, very lucrative careers out of very specific angles in real estate, and um, right down to the more traditional ones. We did have experience at um, you know uh, buying and flipping houses early on to, to generate money and and to help to replace the income that we stopped generating when we got into real estate. And um, you know, so that certainly is a main one, but there there's so many more. So to, to kind of narrow down what we wanted to get into, once we were sort of overwhelmed with all the possibilities, we thought you know, we would look at our own personal circumstances, our lifestyle, our lifestyle goals, the responsibilities to our family, um, financial position, all those kind of things kind of help to direct you know, which, which way you can go and, and maybe what's the better place to start so that you're starting from a good place. You're not uh, having deadlines that you have to meet or you know, really over-financing in order to achieve um, you know something, uh, you need to be in as relaxed a position as you can with as much support as you can and uh, that's why these type of things, Canada, you know, RAAC is, is a very, very helpful tool because uh, like Eric mentions, it's, it's, it's like-minded people. It's, uh, it's, it's for that reason that we can all help each other and in that, uh, you know, share our successes and, and our failures so that we can all learn from each other. Um, so once we kind of looked at all our family position and, and, and where we wanted to start, uh, we did kind of narrow it down and started our education in the real estate business. That's continued up until now and will continue on into the future. Uh, new opportunities present themselves uh, all the time. Uh, for example, current uh, opportunities we're looking at and involved in in the U.S. market, uh, which is very new to us. It's international, so there's international rules to have to learn and, and, and all kinds of different things, Canadian versus American content. Uh, so you, you take a typical closing, and there are some differences. There's some fundamental differences, how the banks and lawyers have to do it, uh, just different legislation, uh, along with different tax implications. And all those little things by themselves can be important, but together they do change the thing. So we, we've probably spent about a year or even maybe a bit longer kind of learning about those types of things, looking at different opportunities that people you know, brought to us or made us attention. 
and from there, um, once we started to get more familiar with you know the general U.S. market and in some certain areas and certain types of things, we got more specific about uh, about that, and and now we're kind of digging down into some certain areas. But it's taken about a year of re-education, if you will, just in the U.S. side of things, just to kind of make sure we're. Uh, doing the best job we can not to get caught up by some rules or some some differences that we're not familiar with here in Canada. Um, so, you know, coming back to educating, it's an ongoing thing, and and we're big believers in that. So, um, you know, along with our own markets that are continually changing and evolving, so you have to keep up to speed with uh, with what's happening and 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 evolve with it. I mean, you know, two three years ago, rents were at an unusual high, just like the prices. You know, since then things have come down. There's more vacancies, so we're having to kind of roll with the punches and, and do more strategic uh, advertising and and uh, not just drop the price. I mean, we have to be a bit more aggressive in our advertising. Maybe add some value where people are are not seeing in other competitors because there's we have more rental units out there. So sometimes people are looking for what else they can get, not just the price. You know, can you carry their security deposit? Uh, do you give them some free time? Is there any other perks that you can mention? Um, you know, we'll do things like rent uh, three-bedroom units at two-bedroom prices if we have a surplus of three-bedroom units uh, because, you know, we want to see the, the units filled and the $100 difference, you know, it's better that than, than having them vacant and holding out until you get the three-bedroom price. Um, but that comes further back to being in the right position. You know, if you have to absolutely get a certain amount uh, for rent to make your ends meet, you know, then that's a bit more nervous. You know, you should be able to carry it for some time so you can hold out for good tenants or you can lower the prices and, and kind of do what you need to do. So we're always always efforting and learning to try and find new ways and not to reinvent the wheel and to learn from others that have much more experience than us so that we can uh, we can be smarter and uh, and try not to make mistakes and and uh, and make it all work uh, and worthwhile. So we've we've spent countless hours and, and money on our education, you know, from the simplest paperback books, uh, you know, to weekend warrior type courses. I like to say weekend warrior. You go there for a couple three days, you know, get a crash course and this or that. Uh, to longer, more specific courses, you may be familiar with Ron Legrand or heard these types of names that are. That's a U.S. guy, but uh, he does Canadian content courses as well. And and these are guys that have been in the business for 20, 30 years, so they're very a wealth of information and. They certainly have a lot of books and tapes and things to sell you, but uh, really, they, they are passionate about real estate and they, and they do have a, a lot of knowledge. So, um, you know, if we can take anything from, from the courses we learn, which we always do, we think it's valuable because uh, even a different opinion is sometimes uh, makes you look at things a little bit differently. Um, so, yeah, as far as uh, looking forward at new, new opportunities, uh, we're both full-time now at, and have been for a number of years at our business and, and they really are 100% committed to its success. And I think it's important to say that because you'd think, well, you know, if somebody's 75% committed, that's not what I mean by saying that. I mean that we've been able to, over the years we've been in, to slowly work ourselves to the point where we can focus on it 100%. And that's what I mean by saying that, which I understand and appreciate not everybody's in that position or maybe doesn't even want to be. Um, so. Uh, but just to give you our background, we are, you know, 100% dedicated to it uh, on the portfolio that we hold and any opportunities that we look at. And um, 
and even into the education realm here now that we're getting into, um, you know, this is this is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, full-time and very much enjoy it, and that's why we do it. I came from my construction background, Madeline had many opportunities and professional background with her, her university degree, and we slowly just worked towards this, and then I've really enjoyed transitioning from, you know, mainstream jobs and that kind of thing to, uh, to doing this. It's every day there's a new challenge, and every day there's a new opportunity, so that's what we are excited about, and and um, and yeah, so I mean, to to be a bit more specific, that's just a rough overview of of how uh, and what uh, where we come from. Uh, but we're going to talk specifically about landlording today a little bit. So uh, I've kind of got it broken down to a four-point sort of overview of how I kind of break down landlording and what it means to me. Uh, so those four points would be uh, fundamentals. Um, and I'll get into each category a little bit more detail, but the first one is fundamentals. Uh, the second one would be tenant-landlord relationships. Third, uh, third uh, point would be issues, and then the remedies to those issues that arise. And um, the fourth would be relationship breakdowns, and ultimately eviction proceedings uh, should it come to that, which unfortunately in our business does happen, uh, you know, not, not that often, but uh, you do have to be prepared for it because just like banks, have to write off that debt. They know before they start lending money that they're going to write off some of it. So I've, I like to say that at this point that, um, you know, to think you're going to find the perfect tenant and, you know, if you do all your due diligence and, and pre-screening and uh, that you won't have to have these uh, horror stories that you hear about and deal with people that are, you know, are undesirable and they're mean on the properties and they're just not good people, unfortunately you're going to come across them. So. Uh, if you have any experience at all, you'll understand that. And if you don't, it's nothing to fear. It's something to really embrace and to kind of get your head around, know what your position is, know that it's just a business, and even though people can make it personal and, and turn things around on you, get you involved and engage in their personal affairs and turn it on to you and make it like you're the bad guy. Really, I kind of have a disconnection. I'm very personable. I enjoy meeting people, making friends, but I keep everything very professional and at arm's length. And then like that, uh, you know, hopefully there's no, there. you know, it, it goes as good as it can. But some people, you know, they're just not uh, not the kind of people you want to deal with and you end up having to uh, to remove them or argue with them or whatever. So we're, we're fairly well versed at that, I'm, I'm unfortunately to say, but we don't have a high incidence of that. But uh, just for the volume that we deal with and, and the amount of people we've helped, we have come across many different scenarios and, and welcome them, frankly. I mean, I don't enjoy arguing and I don't enjoy getting in problems, but uh, but they are part of this business, so I think it's a very important uh, topic to, to talk about relationship breakdowns and the eviction proceedings. And like to mention, too, that every locality has their different rules. You know, legislation, Alberta is bound by legislation Alberta-wide, but from city to city there are some small differences I've kind of learned the hard way over time. If I have to deal with the court uh, in Calgary versus the court in Red Deer, there are some differences, and I can explain to that more if any, there's any questions after. I can tell you, um, you know, some differences like that. So always be aware if you're looking at an investment opportunity in BC, there's going to be some small differences in, in their rules and legislation than there is to Alberta. So the best place to start with is the city website and then also uh, lawyers and accountants, whatever's uh, pertinent uh, to your question from that area because you'll, you'll find people from your area that have knowledge and expertise, but in my mind, no better then go into the horse's mouth, so to speak. So if you get, you know, you do your due diligence from here to BC, do your comparables, and you say, yeah, I think I'd like to write an offer on this property, say, then is when you want to get maybe a BC accountant or lawyer to kind of look over your thing and see if you're missing anything uh, because you're looking at them from an Alberta perspective. 
and I know Ontario and Quebec, you know, they all have some different different rules. So that's just a, a little sidebar. And that uh, made me think of it, thinking of eviction proceedings in court, uh, rulings and so on, uh, how those differ even, even within the same province. Um, so yeah, that uh, those are kind of the, the four main points um, of, uh, of the landlording. So to come back to the fundamentals, uh, just to run through, we, you know, uh, we cover in depth uh, promoting and advertising rental units and, uh, and find that obviously at the beginning you're looking for tenants. So this is a very important and crucial part of, uh, of the tenant uh, process, if you will. Um, I like to say I've created a little theory or a little saying uh, to say that good properties equal good tenants. And in saying that, you know, obviously if you present the properties a little bit dirty or a couple of things broken or, you know, a few lights out and dimly lit, you know, the walks are not cleared, well, you think of it as a consumer or a person that wants to rent a place, whatever demographic you come from, whether you're poor or rich, if you see stuff like that, if you're in the position you have to take the place, then you might. But really, if you have any kind of, uh, you know, choices or any kind of preferences, you're not going to take a place like that because, uh, you know, you, it doesn't feel good to see something not taken care of. I mean, I've driven nice cars and I've driven old cars and you've got to take care of them all. And, uh, and so if you don't, even in the smallest ways, I find that it really turns off the people that you want to get. If you get people that are either just young kids and they're going to party and they don't care, you know, that's really not the tenants you want to get. And then if you get other people that have credit issues or, or, or other issues in their life and really they just need a place to sleep because they're getting kicked out of their last place, this, these are the kind of people that will accept places that are not in good shape or, or not well cared for. And again, that's really not the kind of people that you want to go after. So I like to say you want to, you want to get tenants that can afford to make a $100 decision. So I like to undersell. I like to be, I like to be competitive. Uh, but at the same token, if I update and renovate my place a little bit and the fair market rents are $900, you know, if mine is $950 and there's some on the street that are 9 and 8 and 850 and 8 but I know that they're in really rough shape and that the landlord is absentee, doesn't help them do anything, you know, then I think to myself, if, if I need my rents here to, to pay, you know, what I've done, and I commit to my tenants and do as good a job as I can for supporting them when they when they need maintenance and, and service, that uh, that's the kind of person that I want to have that can appreciate that and, and can afford, frankly, to make that decision. Because if people are just looking for the least expensive place and they don't care what shape it's in, you know, those are, by my experience, not, not the greatest tenants to have. And I, I really don't ever get tenants like that. I acquire them when we buy properties. And um, you hear the horror stories from the landlord side that, you know, was absentee and didn't handle things the way he should. and and like that, the tenants are angry at you, and you're the new landlord, and you didn't even do anything to them. So I do my best to work with them. But nine out of ten times, I like to clean house and start fresh, you know, touch the place up, make it to what I would like to do. Even if I don't have the budget to renovate it, I still I, I take care of it. I clean it up, do what I can. If I don't have a budget to do a full renovation and like that, I can start with fresh people with my attitude, my rules, and my policy. And like that, i got nobody to blame but myself if things don't go right, or at least have the best shot at it anyway. So this is the importance to me of having a you know a good presentation of the property, and um, again uh, you know the the main sentiment is good tenants equal equal uh, or good properties equal good tenants. Sorry. Um, so to go from there, um, the other main fundamental I'd like to talk about without getting too specific is just professional habits and behaviors. Um, you know that would uh, greatly influence the success and efficiency of the operation. Um, 
and uh, without expanding too much, you know, professionalism, you know, is what it is. It's it's a loose, it's a big word. But um, however small your company might be, if you have only one property, if it's only your very first property, I like to treat it, excuse me, like a business because it is. So it doesn't matter if you have a hundred properties or you have one. It should be treated in the same way with respect from both sides, the landlord and the tenant, and uh, and treated as sort of an entity unto itself. The building is a freestanding thing, or if whatever it is, a condo or whatnot. If if what I'm saying, it's got its own you know life. Things are going to break down. Things are going to need attention. The tenants are going to bring that to your attention. You're going to maintain it and, and you know kind of be proactive. And if you are, you know you're going to have less problems and happier tenants. And, and things like that. So to me, that's the definition of professional professionalism, rather than just using the word and saying, "Yeah, you know, I'm going to put on a, a suit jacket and, and then I'm professional." Um, I mean, presentation and and that kind of thing are important, but to me, it's it's more about uh, the meat and potatoes of it, which is they do their part, which is live decently, quietly, take care of your place, inform you of problems, uh, you know, pay their rent on time, and and live you know peacefully with the, with their neighbors. That's what I expect of my tenants. And then the flip side to that is, is that I'm not four days away when they call me. I'm prompt. I'm courteous. You know, I'm reachable 24/7 if need if need be. And um, and like that, you know, that's my obligation to them and my building. And uh, once you start to develop that rapport and that respect, it it goes a long way in shutting down people and their excuses and their reasoning for paying you late or they're excusing themselves for paying it late because you know you know it takes you two days to call them back. It kind of goes both ways, so it's not right for them to hold money back on you, and it's not right for you not to fix something if they don't pay you, but it is human nature to take care of your own interests. So I try and have the discipline of looking at it as a business first, and I take care of it the same. doesn't matter who's in there, whether I'm kicking them out, whether they're my best tenant I have, and, and like that, I get consistency, you know, and neighbors, uh, other tenants that I have will reinforce that, reiterate that in their own way, whether they like me or they don't, and I pretty much get along with everybody. But even if people have disagreements with, they can't be said that I'm unfair or I use my position of power over them when I can. I never do that, and a lot of times you'd like to. Um, but I, I just try to, to maintain the professionalism, keep the emotions down, be logical, and uh, and like that, you know, we have the best success we can. And still, you know, there's obviously challenges. So that's what I mean by professionalism. Um, so come to uh, second point uh, would be the tenant-landlord relationships. Um, uh, I, I like to kind of demonstrate uh, my arm's length theory uh, and my illusion of a large corporation theory. Um, uh, along with the need to be very clear on particular company policies uh, and practices, even before the people move in, you know, assuming you've qualified to be like them, they like your place, uh, you know, they've applied to you, or accepted them. At that stage, you know, I kind of break out the rule book, and I, I treat people, you know, appropriately. If it's a 55-year-old couple, I'm not going to talk to them like they're kids. But I'll still be clear on, on what I do expect and what they can expect from me as far as you know my promptness on reaching them. And if I don't reach them, for not to be scared to call me again, I find it both ways. Some people phone you off the hook every 10 minutes. Other people phone you once. If you miss that call or don't pick the message, you know a week later they phone you and say, oh, my, my thing is still broken. And you know I phoned you, but I didn't reach it. I didn't want to bother you. So I tell them as well. You know I, I try and reach everything. My phone is always on. But once in a while, you get a glitch. You know Your message gets full or it gets deleted by accident. And, and this electro, uh, electronic age, you know, there's less and less face time with people, so you really have to rely on your gadgets and gizmos, and and even just human error. Sometimes, you know, you you can miss something. So I, I like to leave that air of 
personability that I care. It's not just a phone game, you know, where I'm going to take a call if I feel like it or, or vice versa. My my number on my cell phone that I use for business is displayed. I don't hide behind call display. And, and I know there's different reasons to block the number of security and otherwise, so I shouldn't say hide behind it. But I find or my thinking is I want them to know I'm calling them because I'll tell them straight off, especially if it's younger people and they think they're going to play phone games with me when it comes time to collect rent that's overdue or whatever. I call them once. I call them twice. If they don't respond to me, I don't call them anymore. And I get into that in a different part of our discussion here. But, um, you know, then the ball is in their court. I don't get into phone games. We don't have time to make the calls we make. Never mind uh, fool around and phone from other numbers and then things that people, I find, do to me in, in you know, kind of rare occasions. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, coming back to uh, arm's length theory, I like to keep things, again, at a professional level. Uh, I, I engage with people. I enjoy to talk with them and hear about their stories. Um, but I found just in my other business, in my other world, when I had a fairly you know decent-sized construction company, I found a few relationships break down, but simply by the fact that we got too friendly. You know, you you have a guy he works with you for a year or two, you kind of promote him up a little bit. He takes more responsibility on. He realizes the responsibility. You praise him for that responsibility he's taking. In the meantime, you go fishing, you go play pool, you hang out a little bit. It starts to become personal. Then <clears throat> he's going to start to you know want to influence you on your decisions and how you run your business or comment on it. You're going to like that. You're not going to like it. And so it starts to get into a gray area. And uh, and so I find that uh, rather than that happening, you know, to me it is a business ultimately. And even though it's nice to make a new friend or, or a new acquaintance, to me, if I'm invited in for a coffee or whatever, nine out of ten times I'll decline uh, simply for the fact of time and time management. But But even if I do have time, I'll usually decline because... Um, I, I want to maintain a professional relationship here. I want to be detached of emotion. I don't want to get too close to people. It's like naming your pet turkey before Thanksgiving, if you ever heard that saying. You know, it uh, doesn't, uh, Thanksgiving dinner doesn't go so well when you're on a first-name basis with the poor turkey involved. <laughs> so uh, in the same way, I, I like to think of my tenants, that they're my partners in, in, in a lot of ways, my employees, whatever you want to look at it like, but it's just that. And that if they mess it up or they don't do something they like, I like to be able to call it you know, and deal with it. And if they don't like it, then you have to shake hands and move on. And if that's your brother you're dealing with or your your best friend, it's, it's not nearly as simple. And it's, it's amazing in a one- or two-year relationship. It doesn't have to be a five- or ten-year relationship. You can get close to people, and, and you can know their personal affairs and, and things, and, and it engages you and, you, and you feel bad if you have to evict them or you have to press them for money or whatever. But in the end, it, it is a business, and that's at least the way that I like to look at it. So that's what I mean by saying at arm's length uh, you know, type of a relationship. Um, close but not too close and uh, and then um, as far as the illusion of a large corporation I, I mentioned um, I don't mean to mislead anybody it's kind of a gray area between misleading or just creating the illusion of a corporation so that you know most people in this business aren't relying solely on themselves they've got a partner they've got uh, a wife or a spouse a husband that that's along with them so they are not, you know, misleading by saying I have to consult, you know, the company. And in saying that, using that kind of language, you you create a couple of opportunities. You you don't have to answer a question right, you know, on the spot. You can defer to your company. You can create the illusion of you're kind of a go-between between the company and the tenant uh, to kind of side with them, you know, and befriend them in some way. You know, you have the good cop, bad cop theory of the cops that go out and around. You know, there's one hard guy, one guy that gets along with everybody. 
So that kind of thinking, and I think it serves a lot of purposes. Like I said, it keeps you out of the hot seat for having answer questions you don't have the answers to right away. Or you can apply pressure, but you can allude to your company as opposed to yourself and stay personal with them so that you keep the connection the communication alive while you're trying to collect off them or work through whatever problem they have. Because if you have to stand there toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and tell them, I need the money, you're now you know, creating a, you know, a friction point. You know, you're telling them you need the money, and that's that. So it becomes a, more of a friction or an argument point, whereas you can say, you know, I understand what you're saying to me about who didn't pay you or the car broke down, but my, my company, on the other hand, they just see the numbers, you know, and then they see that they have to pay their mortgage payment and you're paying me short. So, you know, if this patient can't pay, let's get somebody in that can. And they say it's not biz personal, it's just business. You have to understand that. And, you know, 99 out of 100 people will relate and say, oh, yeah, I understand. So then I'll say to that, so do what you can. In the meantime, I'll talk to my company, hold them off a little bit. And like that, we go forward. In the meantime, the company is my good wife back home, and she wants nothing to do with any of this, so I can't talk to her if I want to. <laughs> I can, but uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's really not like that. It's just kind of the illusion that you create uh, to give yourself a little bit more negotiating power, wiggle room. And, uh, and then, you know, if you do have a few properties, you know, then you can mention in plural sentences, you know, uh, these properties and that, and that gives, you know, the feeling of a bigger company as opposed to a mom and pa operation. That's another part of uh, the course that I get into uh, where there's professional tenants and um, they're looking for one operations because they know they can play on their heartstrings and get them engaged in their problems and then they just drag their feet as long as they can until the people realize it and get some three, four, or five months for free until they get formally kicked out. Then they drag that out for a month or two because they know the court system better than half the lawyers that are, that are kicking them out. And these are what we refer to as professional tenants, which are very rare to see or come across. But you get different versions of the same thing. You know, people that just, you know, their word doesn't mean much. And when they realize they are going to be kicked out, there's sort of a strategy and a thinking and a way to keep pressure on, but, you know, keep them close to you. If you let the cat out of the bag too soon, people, you know, the wind comes out of their sails. They realize they're, they're going to be kicked out anyway, so they're slow to clean up or they don't clean it up at all because they know they're not getting their security and things like that. So, you know, there's this strategy to everything. There's no one right way. But... Um, We've had many different experiences and learned from people that have done this far longer than us uh, that shared with us ideas that I've employed and, and held on to closely that worked very well. And then we've added our own you know, uh, influence to it as well. And, and these are the kind of things that uh, we like to, to talk to people about. Um, so, uh, so you know, that's not hardly everything that I can talk to about uh, those things. But we can move into the, the issues and remedies, the point number three out of, uh, out of the landlording. And, uh, you know, this is, is, is a little more basic. It, it covers the basic complaints uh, to the most bizarre scenarios. And, uh, and then differentiate, uh, you know, what constitutes a breach of lease versus a simple opinion or a judgment uh, from a landlord to a tenant, which unfortunately you can't enforce. Um, so it's important to know, you know, what you have right to comment on or what, what the tenants have right to comment on you. And a lot of times there's misunderstanding, and it could just be that, uh, you know, that, that needs to be cleared up. So I actually carry around with me in my daily binder a copy of the, um, I'm trying to think of the abbreviated format, the Landlords and Tenants Act, uh, if you want to say the LTA. And so like that, if there's a question, it's, it's actually a fairly easy read, unlike a lot of documents, and, and it's got an index that works fairly well. You know, if you have a, you know, a rent payment issue or, you know, there's a broken fridge appliance issue, you know, it, it's from both perspectives, the tenants and the landlords, and it, and it actually just dictates what the legislation is with given scenarios. So it can't possibly cover every scenario, but it can cover all the, 
the main points, you know, uh, damage, uh, maintenance, uh, privacy acts, uh, you know, rents, late rents, um, breach of lease scenarios, because, you know, it doesn't have to just be a non-payment of rent if people are unusually loud, even if they're not having parties, you know, they can be in breach of their lease if they're just really loud, loud voices, or they talk until the all hours of the night, and they say, you know, we're not blasting our music, we're not having a party, nobody's drinking, but if they're being loud enough to disturb somebody else's sleep in the same building, then that could ultimately become a breach of lease. And these are things that are harder to prove and they're harder to deal with, but you know, eventually you have to draw a line somewhere. So it's it's good to know what your position is. You can't, like I said, begin to forecast all the, the problems or issues out there, but you can kind of be very aware of what your position is and, and, and you know, where you have to defer to the law or somebody else to make a judgment. And um, so those are important things to kind of, you know, get educated on and continue to get educated on because, uh, you know, you'll learn as you go. Um, so yeah, uh, those are the kind of couple of points I want to touch on. Um, the basic noise complaint issues, you know, dogs, animals, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, until you get into more bizarre scenarios that you have to kind of deal with on a on a one to one basis, and um, and kind of go from there. So that would bring us to, uh, I guess, the last point number four, which is relationship breakdowns and ultimately eviction proceedings. So. Um, I've kind of coined a couple of phrases uh, and explained, you know, my theory of uh, naive landlording uh, versus proactive landlording and kind of illustrate the pros and cons between the two because, uh, as the saying says, uh, you know, innocence is bliss or, you know, so the naive landlording, you know, if you just want to assume people are doing the right thing and you put them in and they seemed nice at the time and, you know, so you, when you drive uh, anywhere close to your property, you don't even drive down the street because you just feel comfortable that they're good people and everything is happy. You know, that to me is a naive landlording because uh, I've seen many different scenarios that blew me away that, uh, you know, I assumed that it was a nice lady, a couple kids, you know, whatever her story, whatever qualifications were. Then upon my first visit in the first month or two, I come inside and I see how they live and it's maybe very dirty or maybe there's some damage happening by the kids or, you know, it could be a multitude of things. And um, so that's naive landlording. You're just making assumptions and you got to treat it like a business. So, you know, we have all had cars that we've taken care of and we haven't. You know, if you don't change you all forever, that engine's not going to last as long, you know, even if a major problem doesn't happen. So from a proactive standpoint, even if these people are good and they're not really dirty, if you kind of stop in time to time, you know, it satisfies a lot of things. You know, if they are up to no good or they do have funny habits or hours, but you do drop in time to time or, or put on a 24-hour inspection and kind of go through every room of the place every few months if you're suspicious of things or, or if they're young people and you want to let them know that you're somebody's keeping an eye, you know, then that serves that purpose because if they feel like they're being policed or monitored, you know, they're probably going to leave. And that's better if they leave before they cause any problems. So in that case, it's proactive. And in another case, if you find that upon the first few checks over your first year's tenancy, six months, everything is in good order. They welcome you in with open arms. You know, when you go to put your next 24-hour and they tell you, oh, you know what, I don't need a 24-hour. You're welcome to come anytime you like. That's music to your ears. Then you can start to become a naive landlord. And you never want to be totally naive, but you understand what I mean by saying that that uh, you can start to actually have some founded trust and then just follow up on maintenance and uh, and have a good relationship like that. But like having a good employee or, you know, whatever, it's going to take some time to develop that. It doesn't matter how good they look on paper. Same as you as a landlord. However well you sell yourself and however nice your place is, if now you don't answer your phone once you put them in, you know, it's not as good for them 
or you know if you have a brother that lives on the other side and you favor him with everything and, and are unfair you know I mean there's there's many you know two sides to every coin I like to say so I try and look at it as fairly and logically as I can and um, and like that you know you do the best you can and and, and, uh, and have the best uh, chance of success but ultimately like I mentioned early on uh, that you're going to have relationship breakdowns like banks have to write off bad debt I mean it's going to happen and it's going to happen for many reasons you know you're going to you're going to drop the ball and not fix a few things or or you're going to rub them the wrong way or you know whatever it might be set a tone or rapport is going to develop uh, maybe they're abrasive you know maybe they're really a nuisance they phone you every two days about something else and so you get to get an abrasive relationship and ultimately that relationship breaks down and either they go willingly or you have to evict them and um, and so that's where it gets into obviously all kinds of different scenarios and things but uh, you know if you go through predictable behaviors and habits uh, of a very high percentage of tenants in typical situations you'll find trends and patterns and uh, not to be dealing with things proactively or just to anticipate what they're going to do um, I find very very commonly amongst young people just as a, as a funny example that uh, if they're going to be late with their rent and they don't you know call you ahead and say you know my check is going to be late uh, can I pay it in a couple of days or can I pay 800 now and 200 later and they, and they deal with you in advance if they're avoiding it and, and you know they're having a problem and, and whatever their problem is nine out of ten times when I confront them if I have to confront them and, and come and chase them and you know my office uh, tells me okay this this rent check is returned or that person that pays in cash hasn't paid and they haven't been reachable so that now we have to put it in the outstanding column and start chasing them put the phone calls out knock on doors whatever we have to do once I do confront them on their late rent that is currently late by their own reasons not by mine it's in that instant that you know they'll quickly talk about that give me a quick side you know a story to that and then tell me their fridge and ever since they moved in it wasn't very clean and you know there could have been a better job and they start complaining about things and I think it's just a human nature way of defending themselves before the argument starts so uh, I just found that as a curious observation and I mean if you could defuse that right away that's fine and if they really are leaning on these things now all of a sudden because they're late then that's an easy one to, to point out to them and you kind of go from there but that kind of comes back to my original uh, talking about being professional even in tenants that are that are behind on rent with me and things like that if if I don't treat them the same I treat them even better or faster and respond quicker and that gives them less and less fuel to any fires that they might have as far as you know putting blame on me or or put me in a bad light or, or using that as an excuse all oh, well, their fridge has been making this funny noise for so long and I never fix it you know so uh, they'll pay me whenever I get that fixed kind of an attitude you know it takes a lot for people to say that but they allude to that so if they're late by a few days I confront them they tell me about a few things that are wrong then I kind of explore what's wrong I don't jump right back at the rent if they say this light is flicking and that problem over there I tell them okay well if the light breaks you let me know I'm not going to come and run over here because of a flickering light but if on the other hand your fridge is off or your washer doesn't work you know you need to have those to function then I said you know we'll troubleshoot it right away if we can't solve it between you and me you know do the basic things then we're going to send a, a guy over right away and uh, he'll be here tomorrow and then I leave it at that and I don't even talk about the rent anymore and so tomorrow the guy comes and fixes it then I follow up and say first you know did the guy show up when you're supposed to is that thing fixed and happy and they say yeah I say okay all right then so now as far as your rent what's your plan and what what do they have to say now they feel guilty because they still don't have a plan or they would have said and you fixed it with 
with respect and dignity, you know, you're not talking down your nose to them or, or things like that, you're handling it, right? And I mean, whether they, you fix it for them or you kick them out and the next guy comes in, you've got to fix it anyway. So that's the way I look at it. People are going to play games with me. I just kind of rise above the game and uh, deal with it. And, and I'm not going to do it because they say so. I'm going to do it if it needs doing. And on a rare occasion, you see people creating things to complain about, or they put a list of five things together, send it over, and out of those five things, if you know, if they say this wall is dirty, there's a little hole in the drywall there, I tell them, okay, I'll note that onto your walkthrough report. Don't worry about it, but I'm not coming over there to, to paint a wall. I'll do that when you move out. Done. That one's off the list. And the other ones, I'll deal with. And like that, they get the picture. I'm not a pushover. Or I'm not going to come and jump because they say so. But I am going to answer their call, and I'm going to address everything they ask me to. That's my job. That's what I do owe to them. And uh, I actually have never had anybody, you know, re-abuse that and, and, and keep fooling around because they realize it's, it's, a, it's a useless thing. They're going to try a different angle or step up or step off. And that's the whole point. The way I like to operate is to just bring people to the plate and then make them do what they need to do. And, and like that, you know, if people are struggling, I'll tell them straight up, you know, we'll work with you best we can. I've got my own private policies and, and ways that I do that. But uh, if you're reasonable, and they're reasonable, you say, you know, if you if you don't make those terms, then we have to look at how and when you're going to leave. And I'll help you with that as much as I can. But you can't stay if you, if you don't pay. I mean, you think of Safeway, you think of a motel. Where in life can you can you stay for free? You know, you don't go into Safeway and, and collect $200 of groceries and negotiate that you only have 100 on your way out to till. They'll say put 100 groceries back, and away you go. And so because you're a landlord, you know, and then sometimes I have people talking about their leases like they don't, uh, you know, oh, I changed my mind. You know, if you release a car from Ford, there's great repercussions if you don't honor the lease. And, I mean, we don't follow through to that end. It's really not worth our time. But I like to pay the same respect to the lease. That's the whole point of having it. If I wanted month-to-month -month people or no lease at all, then that's what I would start out with. And there's benefits to both sides, the landlord and the tenant. You know, we can't raise rents on them. We can't put our brother in if he comes and wants to have the place. The lease binds the landlord to the tenant almost more so than the tenant to the landlord. So I, I look at it from both sides, and when we're addressing it early on, that's a big part of my pre-screening. If they're reluctant, they don't know how long they're going to stay, or they only want to stay for a short term, my policies are I, I don't offer the place to that person. Even they might be a good person, seasonal worker, but they're going to move in and move out in three months. Well, I usually lose a month between and ahead and behind of a tenant. So if I lose a month over a three-month tenancy, and then I lose a month on the other side, you know, your average out three months over five, and you're not too much further ahead. You know, if they don't clean it up right, or they create a little damage you got to fix, before you know it, you're going backwards. I'd rather have the thing vacant for two or three months until you get a, a good tenant. Um, and that's just my theory. You know, you, you're going to have your own and your own pain thresholds and your own financial needs. But uh, coming back to what I said previous, if you're able to hang in there a bit, you know, it puts you in the best mind frame to get the, the best person you can to stay with you as long as they can. And, uh, and that's, to me, the goal, so that you're not having to do any more of the qualifying and, you know, get to know your stuff any more than you, than you have to. Um, so those are kind of, uh, you know, the main four points of, of landlording that, uh, you know, that I'd like to kind of touch on and we get into in far more detail, uh, uh, you know, if necessary. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. yeah I lose my Sorry? I guess there is a question time, right? Is it? Yeah, and I was going to say uh, that kind of brings us to kind of question question period, if you want to call it here. Uh, if there's any questions relating to anything I said or anything that's come to mind, you know, uh, please uh, let me know. And, and if when I'm answering, you know, if if it's not making sense or understanding, please stop me, and uh, I'll certainly spend as much time as needed or I'll clarify as best as I can.
Okay, so uh, the way how it will work, uh, Jamie, he has a question, and I'm going to unmute you, Jamie, and then you have a conversation with them. Jamie, can you hear us? Yes, we can hear you, Jamie. Hello? We did hear you a couple seconds ago. Okay, I will mute you now and I will go to Greg. Greg, you are next. Please hold a second. Greg, can you hear us? I can, Yara. Can I can hear us? Perfect. Thank you. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks, Dan. That was a great presentation. Okay, yeah. Hopefully some of that made some sense. Uh, what, uh, what question do you have for me? Well, my wife and I were putting together some uh, rent-owned uh, packages here in BC, and some of our out-of-town investors have asked us to do the property management for them. And our question is sort of around, do we need to get fully licensed to do that and provide that service? Yeah, in my experience, uh, that is something that, uh, you know, when I've gone to employ guys, there are some rules, and the best source for the knowledge of those rules, believe it or not, are at your realtor office. So in Alberta here, um, you know, it's, as I like to say, it's like a second government. You know, they have their own set of rules, and they're actually policed almost as strongly as WCB, and they do come into the Alberta, you know, legal uh, jurisdiction. Um, but there are rules, and I, how much they enforce them, I don't know. How much liability you have, I don't know. Um, but I do know that, um, you know, in Alberta here, if, uh, say, I wanted Yark to go collect a rent for me, he can do that for me for a favor, but if I pay him, he needs to be licensed. And so then, you know, I think at the same bureaus, like at the, at the real estate, um, or sorry, the realtor's office, whatever your agency is called, they have those licensing opportunities, so you can go and explore those, and, and it might be, you know, a few hundred dollars a day or half day's course, you get that accreditation, and then, you know, then Yara could be licensed, and he could collect rents for me professionally like that. And then he'll be versed on what he's able to say and what he's able to do, and I guess that's probably the point. But it gets a little cumbersome, and it's kind of a license to print money and, and to charge for courses, in my opinion, because some of this stuff isn't rocket science. But you're right in the advice that you got that you, you do have to explore that if you want to be responsible to your liabilities and your legalities, because uh, there are some rules, uh, you know, different per province. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Hey, Yark, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry, what was your name? Jamie. Jamie, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you cut off in the first place there, but uh, we can hear you nice and clear now. Sorry, great. Um, my question is, is um, how much can you enforce your tenants to keep your property clean and tidy? Well, that's I, a, you're, you're having a struggle with that right now? Yeah, I, uh, I went down to collect some late rent, and mm -hmm. I found the place, and it was, it almost made me sick. Um, yeah. It's a relatively new property, a new condominium, and it's it looks brand new, at least it did before they moved in. 
Yeah. And when I went in there, there were spills all over, stains on the carpet, mess everywhere. Yeah, well, see, that's a very, very good question. There's no easy answer. Um, I like to look at it as kind of a strategy, you know, and um, now that they're in, you know, you have to deal with it. And, you know, that would have been my first question. Is it a property that needed renovations? Is it the carpets in bad shape? Because if they are, it took me a number of years to be able to look past that, but I found that my dirty tenants were some of my best tenants because they were quite embarrassed and ashamed the way they lived, and they couldn't really do any more damage to the carpet than it was already done, so I knew I had to change it when they leave. So really, I hear less from people like that. But unfortunately, if you've renovated the place, required it, and it's nicely done, you really want to nip that in the butt because they can cause severe damage just by living poorly. So there's really no, in my uh, knowledge, way to enforce that. All you can really do is nag at them, to be very honest. And, and, and the way that you do that, you've got to remain professional. Um, but if you do, you know, uh, get after them, you know, and tell them you're going to do regular inspections and that you're going to, you know, consult your legal advisors to see what breach of lease they may be in, you know, and tell them you want to see the carpet shampooed because they'll reassure you, oh, I've got a carpet shampooer my brother-in-law has. You say, okay, well, we're not waiting until you move out in a year. You know, this wasn't like this when you came in as I'm very concerned. This is thousands of dollars of carpet. And you pick on that one thing and give them a chance to remedy it. And they probably aren't going to. The whole point is, is that if they do clean it up a little bit or they have some kind of conscience and, and kind of know that you're going to come around once a month to check up on things, maybe they'll live a little cleaner or they'll, they'll shampoo it. And if they can realize that they couldn't shampoo it, at least we'll put it into their head to, you know, not to give the kids grape juice and maybe give them something else. And, and you'll just use every angle you can. You know, if they're late by one day, you'll evict them or you'll just keep after them and until such a time as you can get rid of them and get somebody else in there. Unfortunately, once they're in there, in enforcing breach of lease rules are, are quite difficult. The really only clear-cut ones are, you know, violence against the landlord, uh, destructive behavior on the property, or a threat of violence, or non-payment of rent. Those are the ones that are kind of quick and dirty, and that you can kind of get in there, get a ruling, and in two weeks they're gone. And if they don't leave, then you can get, you know, and then have them formally removed. But breach of lease things, I can very honestly say I've never explored one all the way through. I've threatened it several times, and that's what's happened is they've they've left. Either they pulled a midnight move on me or they smartened up to the point where I'm okay with it until they leave and I just don't renew their lease and things like that. But you could really only police it at this stage. And as hard as it is to see, you know, you're probably best off to, to stay on top of them and be reasonable with them. If you overwhelm them too much, they're not going to do anything and they'll spike you, you know, so that's where it comes down to your your patience right. level. Right. And it's tough though well, I I to hear that because you pick that. them up nice and they can make them look uh, terrible inside of a few months if they, they want to. Right. Well, I sent them a letter about two weeks ago mm -hmm. um, stating that I would be coming by on Tuesday because I didn't like what I saw and you know and I felt that their how they're living right now is damaging the place. Mm -hmm. You know, could you not say that that it that being Swabs is destructive. In Absolutely, all but you see now you think think like a lawyer, right? Think like a lawyer. So if there's a lawyer and a judge there that wants to kick these people out for you, what ammunition can you give them to do that? So that's a great idea to send them a letter. You know, uh, like any lawyer will tell you, if you document your conversation with me and I'm the person you're having troubles with, and I don't document my conversation with you, well, when they get to the hearsay part of the program, they're going to side with you because you documented your conversations. Now, obviously, you can say what you want. But they're gonna they're gonna look at that as a more responsible way of dealing with it. So if you go there, if you send her a letter, a warning, and and then make a few site visits, post her 24-hour notices, operate within the rules of the law, 
and then take some pictures, you know, take some pictures uh, as you're there in front of her, you know, tell her I'm going to take a few pictures to document as I go. This is going to put more and more pressure on her. And I mean, if you think of a court of law and building evidence and things, it's a waste of time because uh, if you've ever tried to enforce uh, a collection on, on a judgment, you know, that's a very low percentage of time you're going to collect on that. All it really does is give you right to kick them out. Um, and so then, you know, you don't want to uh, poke, the, poke the bear or, or the gorilla, whatever you want to say, because if you anger them too much, they're just going to spite you as they leave. So you really have to have the discipline to, you know, to, uh, to have them out as peacefully as they can and, uh, and do it like that. And then if while you're doing that, you know, if they have any kind of conscience at all or if they recognize, you know, the shape that it's in and they do make some efforts, you know, that's what you can hope for. Um, otherwise, you just have to look at getting them out when their time uh, comes up and, and kind of be after them uh, between now and then. Um, you certainly are, are within your right to document things and try to sue them, and, uh, but, I, but I frankly wouldn't encourage you to do that. You'll just get more frustrated and find that uh, you're employing lawyers and, and, and taking up court's time. And in the end, they say, yeah, you have a judgment. You know, they wrecked your carpet to the tune of 2500 bucks and, and scratched the walls and whatever they did, so you have a judgment of 3500 Now here, go collect it. And then what do you do? You know, I mean, to retain somebody for a thousand bucks to collect thirty-five hundred, you've already lost a thousand. And these type of people usually don't have any money or anything of any value. So uh, you know, it's it's kind of beating, uh, getting blood from a stone sort of thing. So the really, the motivation to me anyway is to get them out and to get them out as peacefully as you can, so that you minimize the damage and the animosity and uh, and just get somebody fresh blood in there, kind of thing. If that makes sense. Okay. Great. Appreciate the advice. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry, Jamie. I had to I had I had to mute you because you had a speakerphone and microphone, and there is a feedback. Okay. Is there any other further questions? Uh, please don't hesitate and type it in or raise your hand, and I will going to unmute you. I have a one question. Uh, what do you think about hiring property management uh, replacing your work? What What's your feedback? Do you have any experiences with that? I don't have personal experience with that, uh, Yark. I have many friends and associates that have gotten uh, a bigger portfolio than me, and uh, they've had to do it just because no one guy can do it all. And um, unfortunately, all I ever hear is, is poor stories. And, you know, um, whether they're paying too much or they're getting bad advice or bad trades, uh, they're getting bad tenants in that they're having to then to evict and things like that. And usually, those relationships don't last for very long, and uh, that's a very unfortunate reality. I mean, I'd very much like to say company ABC is great, and they charge reasonable, and they take care of it like it's their own, but I can, I can honestly say I've never heard of such a recommendation. I think when you get into big, huge companies that have management companies in place, it's just really an expense and a part of their business because nobody can manage 4,000 doors if you're animal property management. So it's a function of the business. The business has to be doing that much better probably than you or an I's business in order to afford all the inefficiencies and, and things that, that come with that. So <laughs> okay. I'm a little bit jaded. I'd love to find one. If anybody knows of one, I'm all ears. You know, I'd, I'd like to get a recommendation, but so far, you know, I think it's got to come down to yourself. Or if you can get, assemble a bit of a team, if you get a few people licensed to do the appropriate things, you can you can offset. Uh, we've got different strategies where, for qualifying tenants, you can use call centers to offset the volume of calls you get. To, you know, pre-screen out people before you have to talk to them. Uh, there's different things you can do to lighten the load and at a lesser expense. Because I, I make the analogy of uh, of um, uh, phone 
a phone, a cell phone, and the bill. You know, the phone is free. It's a hundred bucks. That's not the thing. It's the bill that you have to be concerned about. So any management company will sell you on their low fees, but it's what they do for you that's the key. You know, do they do a good job? Do they put good put good tenants in? Do they care? You know, do they have some twenty-year-old uh, kid at the desk sending a, a hundred-dollar uh, plumber to fix a four-dollar problem? You know, so. So that uh, you know, that's kind of my my take on on property management companies. But again, I'm open if there's recommendations from you or others. But I, to this point, have never heard of any. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much for for your answer. And um, at this moment, I don't see any questions. So no. guys, don't hesitate. This is your webinar. We are creating that webinar for you. This is the run by investors for investors uh, principle. So Dan, can you can you explain and can you tell me about your 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 mentorship and one of the things which I would like also to mention that we are going to have a privilege to see you on the 24th of this month in Polish Community Center in Calgary for our monthly seminar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will be there live as opposed to the webinar here and um, doing similar uh, similar presentation. That's right. Okay, perfect. So there is a question from Jeff. Jeff, you are unmuted now. Jeff? Okay, here we go. I guess I have to read it by myself. Okay. I will keep you unmuted. Jeff, if you have a possibility to ask the questions directly, go ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to read it now. Done. What type of accounting system do you use for your income slash expenses on your income properties? Well, we uh, we use the old-fashioned kind. Uh, we do employ a few uh, spreadsheet programs, um, which are, is not my department personally, so I don't speak computer as best as this uh, Yark would or others. Um, but really, uh, I've got... Um, not a formalized accounting system maybe that you're referring to. Um, I do have a very, very comprehensive, uh, I say comprehensive, I have a very uh, clear tracking system as far as rents that are owing uh, versus part payments on rents versus rents that uh, that are due and, and a way to, to continue to uh, to track those until they're, uh, you know, collected and accounted for. Um, so unless you have a more specific question, I, I don't have a program I can suggest. I just have the way that we do it. Um, is there anything else, or, or, is there, or were you looking for a specific program as an answer? Jeff, if you don't have a mic, please type it in. Okay, and in the meanwhile, would you mind just telling about your mentorship program? I can, Yark, uh, but also we, we had discussions before, and there was a few questions that were raised, uh, could be by you, could be by others. I could run through as well. I had them prepared. Uh, would you like me to do that, or, or should Go we for it. Into Okay, well, um, the couple of things that, that were raised to me that I thought were, were good, um, and again, I apologize, you know, I don't know the audience, how much experience you have or you don't have, but different um, uh, different words or terminologies that you come across in the business here, um, like a professional tenant, I kind of alluded to previous, uh, I had uh, one person inquiring about that, saying they'd heard about professional tenants and, and how do you identify these people and then what can you do to not get a professional tenant. And uh, I've had conversations with guys right at the courthouse, like the old gentlemen that stand there, you know, and they, they kind of direct traffic and things, and they just kind of stand back and see what happens. And I actually had the occasion when I used to do my own evictions to uh, to be standing in line waiting for my turn to go into court, and I got chatting with a nice old fellow there, a custodian, and 
and he had a really sour look on his face. And once uh, the certain lady walked into the court, he said, this lady, I see her here twice a year. He said, and it just makes my blood boil because she takes advantage of good people like you and, 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 and filled me in on a bunch of things. And I learned a lot from this gentleman just in 10 minutes of talking with him. And he labeled her as a professional tenant and said she really had no intention on paying rent as much as humanly possible. And if you know the system, you know, you can really get away with murder sort of thing. And, uh, and we're actually fortunate here in Alberta where, you know, the you know the evictions will go quicker. I think out in Ontario and other places, uh, they, they really drag it out even longer. It can take six to nine months to get a person out once, once they've reached their lease just because of the volume at the courts and the way that their rules are set up. And so that makes it extra important, you know, to pre-screen your people and your tenants and, and, and to be very diligent in that process because that's, you know, that's the, the most important part of your job is right there, is, uh, is finding the right tenant because, like I say, you're really trusting them with your hundreds of thousands of dollars investment when you're not there. So, um, so that was, I just wanted to touch on that, the professional tenant, uh, and the best way to avoid them is to do thorough pre-screening and, you know, if your gut instincts tell you, tell you something, you should go with it, even if the paper tells you different, you know, if you have troubles getting references or if you get contradictory information, you know, it's all those kind of things that can send a red flag. And uh, my personal philosophy is, is once I start to smell a rat, I become more and more um, diligent. So, you know, if I'm suspicious of anything at all, I had a, had a very senior uh, older gentleman that had a lot of properties who didn't even take applications in anymore. He just went with his, his gut instinct, and, you know, I, I'd be leery to do that. But I did appreciate some of his advice, and I was talking to him about having people fill in uh, criminal background checks because I used to early on have all people fill those in because I thought I didn't want to get somebody with an assault history or mental problems or whatever. And so he just looked at me and said, you know what, my friend? He said, if you suspect the guy is a criminal, what else do you need to know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that coming kind of tongue-in-cheek from an older guy. But uh, really, I took it to heart to say, you know what, if I do, you know, like the sound of this guy and it on paper it seems right, but there's something that doesn't feel right, the best way to flush out any kind of really problems is to, especially in their presence, not on the phone or on email, is if you're looking them in the eye and you're standing there and you say, okay, well, we're mostly ready to approve, but our policy, and you don't have to tell them that you're going to do it, you just kind of word it that, you know, our policy is is that uh, we like to have a criminal background check. Would you have a problem with that? And if you're looking them in the eye when you say that, and they shift their eyes away, or they shuffle in their feet, or they get, you know, a little bit defensive and say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to spend the 50 bucks to have to do that. Well, the last time I checked, that is what it costs, but an honest person wouldn't know that. So right away, that tells you, you know, they know something that they probably shouldn't. And then if they're reluctant to do it, and for whatever reason, they don't want to go downtown, their car is broken, then that tells you that they probably have something they don't want to disclose to you. And But if, on the other hand, you know, you're an honest person, yourself and myself, you know, you cross the border and the guy says, do you have any drugs or guns? You feel a little bit guilty, but you say no, and you're honest about it, and he puts you through. So if you're asked to do a criminal background check, if I was asked that, I'd say, fine, what, what do I got to do? You know, if I want the place and that's part of the problem or part of the po uh, process, then that, that's what I would do. So you can read a lot by a person just by their, their, their reaction far more than what their words are, and that's, you have to be in front of them. And that's the thing. You want to talk about a management company. Well, who's doing that for you? It's some kid that works there for 10 bucks an hour, and he, he can't wait to get home. And the quicker he puts somebody in, the quicker he doesn't have to show somebody else. So, you know, they're not going to be thinking like that. They're going to be thinking the opposite. Get them in quick, whatever. They don't care. So I care very much, and, uh, you know, professional tenants are ones to avoid. Um, and that's the other side of it is if you present yourself as kind of a corporation like I alluded to earlier, if you get people on the phone, they'll just go through the directories and the, and the websites and they'll phone, you know, um, 
uh, places, you know, they're looking for places, and if they can get a ma and pa type organization, that's who they're preying on. They're not preying on Emerald Management Company because those guys know the rules, or somebody like yourself or, or us that, uh, that do this uh, quite a bit. They're trying to find somebody who's naive, you know, very chatty, you know, they're very loosey-goosey on the phone. Those are the people they're going to get taken advantage of the worst. So, so yeah, Eric, that was just one one that came up, and I thought if somebody didn't ask about it, I, I should talk about it a little bit because uh, it's, a, it's an important one. Well, def definitely. There is another question from Jamie. Okay. okay. Just hold a second. Jamie? Jamie? Hi again, thanks. Um, just in talking about screening tenants, what about running a background, uh, pardon me, credit checks? How can I do that legally? Uh, well, that's very simple. Um, it's with, with the Internet age upon us here now. Um, you just get on. I'm trying to think of the names of the companies. Yark, do you remember uh, what the names? Uh, I don't have that in front of me. It's something my office normally does, but there's like two main uh, credit bureaus, I guess you could say. I think TransUnion is one, and then there's another one. And really, I think it costs five five bucks or whatever, and you do it online. And, uh, and, and what you need is the person's birth date and full name. And, and, and out of those two, you can identify the person as who they are. Uh, their social insurance number really verifies that. Um, but if, if it was a married person and they've, they've been divorced, they'll show both their names. So whichever name they give you, it will appear. And so the first part of that is to actually identify the person. They're not using a false identity or somebody else's information. And then secondly, you, you want to look at their credit history. So I can say from my own experience, that's one part of the program earlier on wasn't able to be done by by uh, the internet so that it was more cumbersome, kind of like a criminal background check. People had to go all the way downtown to City Hall and get paperwork and things. So it was more cumbersome and we relied more on our reference checks, you know, to their current landlords and employers and so on. And, and we found by people far more senior than us that said, you know, if they didn't do anything, what they do is a credit check because that tells so much about a person and their history. You know, you can have a good experience with a landlord for a year or have a good experience with an employer but if the if the credit check goes back, you know, half a dozen years, you can really get a feel for how this person operates and, and what you know, if they've defaulted on a number of things, well then their word isn't worth much, right? That's really what it comes down to. So everybody can need a second chance or, or can be rebuilding and you can see that. You know, I've I've put guys in that had bankruptcy, you know, as soon as a year ago. But you know, they were in a mess up until then. They tell me they had a marriage breakdown, everything went into the toilet. But now they've got a new job, and that employer speaks well of them. They've got a good reference from their landlord. You can see what their income is. You verify that. You can see that you know their cell phone, their credit cards are in good standing now. So to me, that's a person who's rebuilding, and he's on a good path. And that's a person I would take in. So, uh, so the, the, that's the long answer. The short answer is absolutely do a credit check, and, and you should be able to do it online. And very, very important. And um, many times, just out of laziness or busyness, you know, if uh, I wasn't able to do that online or the person was pressing me to do a quick uh, check-in, I've, I've avoided that and sometimes what I'll do is I'll look back on, you know, where I went wrong. If a person really goes sideways on me, I say, geez, uh, am, I, am I getting old here? What's the problem? So I look back at the history of the file and I say, geez, I didn't pull a credit check here. You know, the, the employer didn't phone me back and so I just went with, uh, you know, the, the landlord reference. And the landlord could have been the guy's brother or friend. You know, you don't know who's, who's telling you the truth and who isn't. 
but the more information you can gather, the more you know comfortable you can feel that it's it's real information, and then you put it all together, and then the final thing is your gut instinct. You know, uh, if you, I always like to do a site meeting as well as uh, the paperwork part of the program. So many things can get lost in translation and emails and, and even on the phone. You know, when you really get a sense of a person, you're standing in front of them and you're talking with them, and uh, you know it says a lot. Even when they bring their kids and their dog along, you can learn about people just like that. If they're harsh with their kids, they're not. The kids are well behaved, or they're not. You know, these kind of things send messages more than they could ever say. So, but the credit check, I think, is very important. Probably the most important. Jamie, you're not muted. Yes, I just I didn't know if I was legally able to do a credit check, being that I don't officially have an incorporated business or anything. And I just I didn't know. I somehow assumed that it was a breach of privacy, you know, the sole privacy act. No, I think uh, what you might be thinking there is, is sharing that information. That's obviously very, very private information, so you are obligated under privacy laws not to share that information. And, in, and if you want to do that, then you need to have them sign off on that. And sometimes, you know, on my application form, it does say you're authorizing me to share the information with other creditors or whoever I might need to as appropriate to the you know, confidential practice of qualifying this application, and that's outlined on my on my application form. But uh, no, you know, it's kind of like a mortgage. You can go downtown and pull title on your neighbor's house and, and learn all those mortgage particulars. It's public knowledge for whatever reason at City Hall there. So, um, but uh, but how you handle the information, obviously, uh, ethically and morally and legally, is is a different thing. So you could talk with uh, you probably get some of that information off the city website or uh, or have a quick chat with a. Uh, with a lawyer and they can tell you the ins and the outs, but no, you can absolutely pull credit. Uh, it's just a matter of, um, and it's been years since we set it up, um, but I think you just, I don't even have to pay to set up an account, you just set up an account with the TransUnion and the other one, I think Equifax, now that comes to me, the other one is Equifax and TransUnion, and um, and they're kind of redundant, you don't need to do both. I think for some reason, sometimes people will show up on one and not on the other, or, or vice versa, and so if you don't see them on one, you try them on another, and if they don't appear on either, then there's a problem with their identity. You know, they, there's something wrong with their name, they're using somebody else's name, or, or whatnot, um, because everybody who's got a social insurance number and is a citizen will show up on, if they have any credit history at all, will show up on, on, on one of those two uh, agencies there. So again, those are TransUnion and Equifax. If you look those up, they can probably uh, tell you more than me, and, and, and uh, you can incorporate that into your uh, application process. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right. Okay, so then do you have any other uh, suggestions? And, uh, well, secrets? yeah, if you, we didn't have anybody else ready for a question there, there was one other. If we have time, I can go through. Um, would you say we have time, or let's go ahead? Let's let's set it up that maximum twenty more minutes, and we will should finish. How that sounds? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so there was uh, one, a couple other questions, but the one um, that I thought might be useful to people, uh, as far as uh, is evicting people, um, the question was put uh, that uh, is. Uh, is uh, evicting people through the court system my only means of, of, of actually having a person removed? And the answer to that is no. Um, legally, it is. You know, you have to resort to the to the to the rules of the law if you know two parties can't agree, and the one person doesn't want to leave, and you want them to leave, and so uh, the rules will prevail there as far as uh, that goes. But the other way that I found far more effective in my years of doing this and, and coming to do this 
just out of frustrations with the court system and the slow, tedious process that that is, I found a way to kind of, uh, I don't say manipulate people, but encourage them and, uh, and kind of push them in the direction that I want them without doing anything against the law. And so I just use, uh, I use money as leverage, I use time as leverage, um, and, and use this and, and, and just keep a constant pressure with people. So, uh, so like that, for the same amount of money that you have to put out or less, I can have people out far quicker than the court system ever will for me. And I don't want to jinx myself, so I'll knock on wood when I say it, but I haven't had to use the court system for, for a number of years now. And it doesn't matter if I do, um, but, uh, but the point is, is, is that really once, once it breaks down to the point where you don't want them anymore or they're not paying or you, you just don't want them as a tenant, you, you don't even care about the lease or the rent they owe, you just want them out, you know, then the, 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 the game is, is to get them out as quick as you can as calmly as possible. You know, even if you have right to scream and holler at them, you don't want to do that because they're going to leave the place in as worse a shape as they can just to spite you on their way out the door. If I can make people not feel bad, but but feel guilty, you know, that, that they have, you know, defaulted and I've not raised my voice and I've not treated them the way they might have treated me and I've kind of risen above that and if they swore or they used some foul language or they got emotional and I didn't and I kind of brought it back down and then try to keep it calm and said, look, you know, I appreciate you're upset and I understand, and, you know, I'm not perfect, you're not, but, you know, it, it goes both ways. And, you know, and I kind of bring them into my world a bit and say, if you don't pay your rent, I can't pay my mortgage payment. If I don't pay the mortgage payment, we're all out of business. You know, I don't uh, own all my pl places free and clear. And it shouldn't matter anyway, but to people that are in money troubles and, and thinking of themselves only, you know, you, you just have to appeal to what, what, what they hear. So if I tell them, you know, if I, if I don't get your rent, I can't make my mortgage payment because I don't own the place. I mean, even if you did own it, you know, you could say that, but uh, you don't have to be dishonest and just say that and say, you know, so it's not personal. I appreciate, you know, you've had all this bad luck and your husband left and so on and so forth, but, you know, I, I have to, we have to do something. So if the only thing we can do is have you leave, let's work on that together. Let's stay in communication. Let me help you as much as I can. And like that, I've sent to people that have defaulted paying me. I know they're going to leave me a mess. They've been rude and ignorant to me. You're making excuses. I've actually sent my own guys and truck over to, to move their stuff and just move it for them. And so what I'll do is if I can kind of engage them and say, because when you say I'll help you, usually they're not used to hearing that, or what does this guy want to help me? He's the evil landlord. I say, you know what? Things happen. And, I mean, there's no point looking backwards. We've got to look forwards now. So obviously you need to get back on your feet and, you know, engage in whatever their particulars are a little bit to keep it personal with them and say, you know, so if you can go move in with your mom, like they mentioned, or whatever, you get back on your feet for a few months, you're back in business. In the meantime, I can get my property back and get somebody in that can afford to pay. And, you know, I'll see you on the street, I'll shake your hand and wish you good luck as opposed to you hating me and me hating you. And you're going to have to leave anyway. So if I get the courts to push you out or, or you leave in the middle of the night, I said, why that? Why don't, why don't we leave it on a handshake? We'll work together. And so then I can bait them with different things like their security deposit. If they still have security deposit with me and they're within the first month that they're defaulting, so say March rent didn't get paid and I still have their security deposit, and I really get a sense that they're not going to be able to pay just by everything they've told me. They promised to pay me on the 4th and they didn't in the 9th and, and so on, and now we're here at the 17th and they're still not paying and their story's getting worse. I just put that back to them and say, okay, you know, it's cutoff time. And cite the three, four times that they've, they've missed and say, so, you know, let's work together, and if you're willing to go, and go, you know, by this weekend coming up, give them some kind of a real quick deadline, you know, that I'll send you a couple of guys over with a truck, and they'll help you to move the stuff, they're not professional movers, so you're going to be responsible for damages and things, but otherwise, they're going to load the truck up for you and shuffle your stuff from here to there, and, um, and if you can leave the place to me in the same way that you gave it to me, which is to say, the carpet shampooed and clean and tidy, 
I'll give you half of your security deposit back and also assist you in moving. But I said that deal only happens if you go out this weekend, and you know maybe three, four days of it. You can't say tomorrow because they got to get the stuff together. But if you say two weeks from now, it never happens. So I give them. Yeah, you know, I usually look at the very next weekend because then they can have no excuses. They're off work or whatever it is. And then if they are or they're not, I just tell them. You know, if by Sunday night, if it's Wednesday now or Tuesday, if I say by this Sunday, you guys, you know, we can have help you guys move and you can clean it up and give it back to me the way that I gave it to you and leave it you know, with dignity like that, and that gives me a week to try and rent it for before April he comes up here, and then, and then like that, I've only lost you know, one month in this bit of expense, and if you want to pay me back you know, for my guy's time, I have to pay them, you can do that when you can afford to do it, and they know they're not going to pay you, and you're not going to push them on it, so you know, let, when I'm within the, you know, the, the one month, I have that leverage, because I have a bit of security deposit, but they're not going to fall for that if they're three months behind, they know I'm not going to give them anything back, but I am a man of my word. If I tell them that, I'm going to honor it. I'm not going to trick them up and let them leave and then keep it. So I found that that's worked a lot of times because they're so surprised, and, and now they realize I'm not going away. I'm not going to leave it to them. I'm not going to kick it over to the courts. And they heard their friend or their brother, you know, and it took them a month and a half. And they might be thinking, yeah, it would be nice to be a month and a half with no rent. They realize I'm not going to let them do that one way or the other. So if they realize I'm serious and I'm in their face and I'm not going away, they might as well take the help I'm going to give them. And so that way it keeps me in communication with them. You know, they're going to be less prone to damage the place or treat it worse because I'm, I'm going to be talking to them every day between now and, and, and Sunday. And then I'm going to be sending my guys over there. I'm going to be around changing locks and doing different things on that day. So they're going to be, you know, doing the best they can because you're, you're doing more for them than you should. But in, by my estimation, if it takes a few hours of my time, and I pay my guys a couple of hundred bucks for their gas and their trouble for a couple hours, and they shuffle their stuff over there, and these people even clean it up three quarters. And my cleaning lady goes in there for half a day. You know, all told, maybe I'm three, four hundred dollars in, and they're gone. I got a week left before the end of the month, and the place is mine. Rather than spending, you know, hundreds of dollars in the legal system and in the time and and the weeks that it takes to do all that, only so that you can get a judgment, you know, by the end of the month, and the judge will say, okay, they got to be out by April fifteenth. And then on April 15th, I got to go over there and see and if they're not out. Then I got to go back to the court and say they're not out. They give me a 48-hour notice and back and forth a few more days, and then I can enforce them to be out. And usually people don't have you push them like that, but they will ride it out to the very last day the judgment says because they're able to be in there until that day. I can't do anything else about it, and that's what I found frustrating because the, the judges don't care. You're losing another half a month's rent. They look at it and say, well, this poor tenant, you can't have them out in three days. You got to give them a couple or three weeks. I find, in my experience, they want to give them two to three weeks. If I make an application on the 16th of the month, I won't even bother. I'll try my luck. I'll try and get 500 bucks out of them, uh, because if they don't pay the full rent, I still have right to kick them out. As long as they pay full rent, then then I can't kick them out anymore. But if 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 it's the 16th now, I've let it go this long. I've never had a judge say to me, oh, "Okay, they can be out by the end of the month." They'll say the 15th, because by the time they they hear that application, it's now the 19th or or whatever. And they, uh, they think on behalf of the tenant. So, uh, so yeah, there's many strategies that I have that, that I've used, and that's just one of them, you know, offering uh, some security deposit back. And, I mean, I'm very crystal clear with what I say. So if I tell them, you know, you leave it exactly the way I left it, that's the same as we would have did if we did a formal check of when they left on good terms, right? So if they did everything but didn't shampoo the carpets, then I'd give them back their 1,000-plus interest minus the carpet shampoo. And that's just fair business. So, I, and they say, well, how do I know? I say, we're going to do it exactly the way we did, you know, if you left on good terms, which is what you should do, right? Even though you're leaving and you didn't pay rent. But now I'm baiting them to do it because they see some money coming back and they're hurting for money. So, 
I've never given their money back to this point because they screw it up. They, they, they're not, not organized enough to get out on time. Even with my help and assistance, what usually ends up happening is, you know, the day before my guys are coming over, they start boxing stuff up, and then my guys come and remove the stuff, and then they push a vacuum around a little bit and, and smear around the grease on the counter and say, oh, geez, uh, you know, I just uh, give me all their stories and their excuses. I say, well, that's fine. You know, the whole idea was to help you to go because that's what needed to happen. So I tell you what, I'll keep score of what I need to spend here, and if there's anything left over, I'll let you know. And they never hear from me again because I was only going to give them four or five hundred bucks anyway. And you know, I can explain away cleaners and, and things very quickly if I put my mind to it, and I have no problem doing that if they don't leave it clean. I've had a couple of occasions where the people have left it really clean, and maybe I only had to throw a cleaner in for a few hours. So I've done exactly what I said I would do. And I shake them hand and thank them for doing that because it really is a blessing to me for them to be gone and me to be rid of them and their problems. And if I don't have to pay a cleaner four hours to go in there and I have to pay her 80 bucks, and I committed to pay these guys half the thing, I'll say there's a copy of the receipt just like if I check them out and pay them their 420 minus the 80 and, and be, be happy that they're gone. And, uh, and that's the best 400 bucks I ever spent because if I let them hang in there, they were going to stay in there much longer and leave me a bigger mess to clean up and time is money, right? If you lose another month's rent, that's another 1000 on top of all your other expenses, the way I look at it. And then the, the intangible thing is is the aggravation. You don't know they're out until they're out. So if you could say, I know they're going to be out by next April 15th, you might say that's fine, but you never know until they're actually gone. And that weighs on a person, even if you disconnect from it, you you know, you feel better when they're gone. And even if the thing sits there for two weeks before you rent it or a month, you feel better with it being empty and clean than you do with people hanging in there for free and, and you never really know when they're going to leave. So that's, uh, you know, a question that comes up quite often is, is you know, do I have to kick them out or is there other ways? And, and I, I can tell many stories. And, and, and different examples of things that I've done right up until recent months, uh, a month or two ago, and that I'll continue to do because I find myself a bit more efficient than the court system these days. <laughs> and it's not saying much because the court system is slow. You know, they're bogged down. They don't care. They're just doing their thing, and 4.30, everybody goes home. So they're not in a hurry to do anything except go home, as most government agencies seem to be. So so hopefully that's helpful. And those are just a couple questions, Yarek, that, that had come up in conversation with uh, different students and things over time. Um, so unless anybody has anything else. Uh, of course. Of course. Greg. <laughs> Greg, you are online. OK. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Charmaine, Greg's boy. <laughs> oh, OK, great. Hi, we thought we'd trick it up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, you don't sound like Greg. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we just have a, a question about a property that we have. Um, we have some tenants, and well, we're actually, anyways, we have we have some tenants in there, and we've gotten them to sign a letter, um, to, just stating that they wouldn't use a particular room that has no window in it, that they wouldn't use it as a bedroom. Mm -hmm. And we think they probably are, and we will probably find out very soon that they are when we go to do the house inspection. Like they've just moved in, mm -hmm. and. Anyways, like we have this letter, it's from our lawyer. I mean, like we're, I guess we're covered, but I just think I, it's not sitting right with me. And I'm just wondering, have you come across that and have you handled something like that? Well, I do and I have. Um, and, and the way I've handled it, unfortunately, is the old-fashioned way. And that's put a window in. And I know that's kind of painful and sometimes uh, very painful. But uh, recent uh, cases in the city, there was a couple cases where security bars were in basement suite windows that were fixed. You know, they had a lock or they were screwed in. 
Unfortunately, there was a fire and smoke, and people didn't get out, and two or three people died, and, and that's still in the court system. And that's a terrible, terrible tragedy. I'm sure the landlord there never meant for that to happen, and if anything, you know, security bars are just for that, for, for people's security. But that's a, that's a hugely, hugely big and important mistake. And actually, just today, I was in with a student of mine uh, kind of looking at a renovation for her. And uh, when we went downstairs, it was a suited basement. I saw security bars in the window. That's the first thing I said. I said, those have to come off. I said, for liability-wise, just for safety first and then liability second. And, and, and they didn't even, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But one little oversight like that is, is, is hugely important, obviously. And as far as the window goes, I can see a lawyer drafting up a letter. It's better to have that in hand than have nothing at all. But you think about that. If, uh, if ever did something terrible happen, some fire or whatever, and there were some kids or somebody that couldn't get out, and you know that bedroom was their only egress, you know, there was fire in the hallway or whatever, how, how, how big is that letter going to stand up? So um, I think that's the best you can do without having a window there. But really, it, it kind of falls into your lap more than your tenants. And if they're doing it what you said or not, because um, ultimately, you know, you're providing the place. And uh, so if you think if you're staying in a hotel and you're trusting the fire escape to work and then you go and open the door and the stairs are broken and they had some letter saying, oh, you signed in this fine print, you know, that the stairs were broken, you've got to use the east exit, you know, how powerful would that be? I mean, it's their responsibility to provide safe accommodation. And, uh, you know, I think you, you probably would have liability in, in the worst-case scenario there. So, and, and to put a window in is not as painful as it seems. Uh, it depends, obviously, on, on the circumstances of the place. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, I don't know. And I would be really reluctant to advise you because I'm not a lawyer, and this is a very, very serious uh, area, you know. So it might be what might be another consideration if you want to control it without putting a window in. You could remove the door. Maybe you could remove a small portion of the wall and, and leave it as an open room. And then if they want to sleep like that, that's up to them. But that would probably dissuade them from doing that. And to take down a half of a framed wall and patch it up and paint it in would be far less uh, labor-intensive and money expense uh, than putting a window in. Um, and then, you know, if, if a tragedy ever was to happen, you know, that wouldn't be looked at as a bedroom. It would be looked at as a nook, you know, and they slept there. And then unfortunately, that's the way that worked out. Um, but again, I'm not suggesting that is, is, is a remedy. It might be dissuade them from sleeping in the room. And um, you know, if you explore that with a lawyer, you know, I bet you any money he wouldn't commit to you know that that would cover you uh, for sure. But at least it would take away the fact that it's a, in in closed room, because I think you are running uh, you know some liability there that you don't need, and, and certainly wouldn't want to have a problem with that. Okay. Thanks a lot. No problem. Okay. You are muted. So Dan, as mm -hmm. we men mentioned, we have a couple more minutes. Okay. So we're going back to the uh, explanation that we are going to see you on the 24th of uh, March, right? You are March. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's March. Yeah, it's Thursday. Yeah, March 24th. Yeah. That's perfect. That's so. If you if you like to meet Dan in person, you're more than welcome. This is, will be only for Canada Rick members exclusive. And would you mind telling Dan about your program now? You're running that with your wife, Madeline, right? Yeah, it's really more her, her program than mine. She started a mentorship program about a year ago, and um, it's been going very well. It's coming into demand, so it's causing us to learn you know, more things and, and get a bit more specific about issues like liability and things because uh, we're having to speak to others now as opposed to we're watching our own stuff and so it's been a really good learning for us as well we've we've taken other additional courses ourselves and and things and um, 
it's like teaching anything. The more you teach it, the more it reinforces it to yourself. So I, I'm starting to get involved with it, and I'm enjoying it. So I apologize. I'm probably not as professional as Yarek and, and, and others, but uh, we're working at it. And, and the bottom line is I enjoy it, you know, and, and I enjoy to, uh, to share my experiences and learn from others as well. If you have ideas, uh, you know, I'm always uh, looking to find new, new and better ways myself. And this is a great way to do it. Um, but we have kind of set up a mentorship program that kind of touches on about 10 different subjects. So I'll just kind of run through quickly, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, from opening corporations to lawyers and, and, and dealings with them, mortgage brokers, uh, marketing, insurance, foreclosures, uh, simultaneous closings as far as acquiring deals, uh, joint venture partnership arrangements you can, you can uh, utilize to acquire properties with little or no money down. RSP second mortgage investing in order to uh, leverage, you know, once you do acquire properties and, and stretch out your kind of investing dollar. Uh, landlording, uh, you know, that we're touching on here tonight, and I'm actually working on a renovation course that's to come. It's not quite ready yet, but we're, we're working on that. Uh, but those are kind of the subjects that we that we uh, deal with right now. And um, and also we're looking at uh, putting in, uh, because we've had many requests for specific things, you know, they, maybe they don't want to learn about many of those things I mentioned, but they want to learn about joint venture stuff. So we can we can even offer uh, constant con consulting packages of time that we can speak at uh, whatever you'd like us to, and uh, we certainly wouldn't speak at anything we weren't versed in. So if you approach us about something that we, we didn't have knowledge in, we'd be more than happy to pass you to people that we know or would trust. But if it's something that we have experience in and can feel we could help you, then, uh, then we've got like 5, 10, and 20-hour packages um, of consulting time that we can do either in person, in email, uh, on the phone, and with the 10 and 20 hour packages, what I've offered as well, because people have often asked me to kind of quarterback an eviction for them or to look over their shoulder, and I thought, you know what, maybe I can set something up where I can just formally do that for them. So out of the 5 and 10 and 20 hour packages that we're, we're doing, um, with the 10 and 20 hour ones, I can offer myself as an associate landlord or an eviction advisor. And then in those cases, you would you would mention to your your tenant in question or whatever that you know I'm an associate of yours, and that I'm going to step in and I'm going to help with having them go out and not to push them out or threaten them or force them, but you now have brought credibility to yourself that you're you're getting professional advice, whether it's from a lawyer or from an eviction specialist like I've used or or could offer you to use, or if you're just getting my advice and you'd be very honest in saying I'm just a real estate investor myself and 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 I'm able to facilitate their quick, you know, leaving of the premises that's in, in, in good interest for everybody. And and we just did one recently for a fellow and it went very well. He was, uh, you know, engaged with this tenant for far longer than he should have been and he, he was a good guy. That was the bottom line and these people were inadvertently taking advantage of him. I wouldn't have deemed them a professional tenant, but they, they did take advantage and, and I think he'd still have this tenant to, from two months ago had we not, uh, you know, kind of quarterback for him and, and kind of push her in these ways that I mentioned. So. So that's just one other one other thing that we're offering, and then we're open to, to suggestions. So, uh, if um, if if anybody has any interest in that, uh, you know, we just have an email address. We would ask you to email us directly, and we don't have to bore people today with uh, prices and things. We would just speak to whatever your interests are, and then we can kind of give you a menu of, of things and uh, that we offer and uh, would be willing to do, and, and the rates that would be associated with them. Um, so, if you like, I can pass along the the email address here. Go and, ahead. Uh, certainly uh, inquire there. It uh, is via info at shaw.ca. So it's V-E-A-I-N-F-O at shaw.ca. 
And we've just uh, threw a little promotional uh, note in there that if we get any date stamped inquiries on today's date, that we would offer 5% off of any prices that we have uh, advertised or the quote, uh, just as an encouragement to follow up instead of procrastinate, which we're all able to do. And, and, and if not, uh, we'd be more than happy to talk to you another time or when we're live uh, here next week. Okay, just to finalize and to finish our conversation, which is perfectly on time, 8.30, uh, I truly believe it. With whom you're dealing with, you're becoming one. So that's it. All right. Well, uh, thanks uh, very much for everybody's time and attention. And uh, thanks very much, Eric, for the opportunity here at Canada RAC. I think uh, what you're doing is great and very commendable, and I'm happy to be a small part of it here and, and would like to continue doing that into the future if we have uh, things that we can offer. And um, I guess on behalf of uh, myself and Madeline, who's away right now looking at a real estate deal, um, happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Thank you, and have a nice day. You bet. Okay. Okay, good night. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.